Welcome back to Naring the Narrative, the only podcast where by public opinion, the best Sean Connery movie is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Looking at you, Mr. Quartermain. <laughs> Mr. Quartermain. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I don't know, the whole narrative thing, it just seems to me like a... Narrative? Or narrative? The narrative. The narrative is one big circle, I guess. I wonder what Alan Moore thought of Finding Forrester. Because wow. he's kind of has that reclusive vibe, so. Well, who cares what Alan Moore thinks? That's right. I'm calling you out, Moore. <laughs> Loser! You never read a good comic in your life. That's probably not true. He's probably written many great. He's read. He's one of the greatest of all time. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Clearly not true. But um, so yeah, if Henry didn't do a little spoiler of the episode to come. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah, it's just a nice crisp one for you. We're gonna be talking about finding Forrester. That is right. Yeah. Um, what prompted you to pick? Man, the phone's going off. We're professional. This is only our second in in person one. So, <laughs> but what prompted you to pick Finding Forrester? I love that movie. Yeah. It's truly great. I mean, it it's kind of funny because the the story of Finding Forrester kind of relates a little bit to my own story of like falling in love with writing, where it's like because we shared the same yeah. writing professor who kind of had a much less aggressive. Forrester-esque vibe, yeah. where it's kind of that's that idea of write what you, just write and keep writing and write things that you love and mm-hmm. write things you're not good at and keep just write. Don't worry about if it's good. Just write expressively and then worry about the small things after you write something. Yeah. And if something has body, then it has potential. Yeah. And finding for, well, the thing is I watched this movie a long time ago with my dad Yeah. when I was probably about... I don't know, 15, 14. It's, it came out, I want to say, like, 2000. Maybe even the 90s. Maybe. I think, like, early 2000s. Like, yeah. early 2000, 2002. I don't yeah. think any later than that. If you told me 98, I believe you. If you told me 2003, I'd also believe if you. If you told me the 30s, I'd believe you. If you told me the BC 5000. <laughs> yeah. When the League of Attorney Gentlemen were getting started. <laughs> if you told me that uh, Alan Quartermain then took a 50-year hiatus and became Forrester under a pseudonym. Yeah. I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> it doesn't make sense with where his character. He's at. been dead for twenty years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, Finding Forrester is one of those movies that kind of sit like sits as a cornerstone of like my movie critic bones. Okay. Where it's like the the Goodwill Hunting's and the um, Antoine Fishers. Yeah. Where it's these stories about a single character narrative, but it's like he meets like or he or she meets this kind of like a role model in their life who kind of pulls their life in a certain direction yeah and um finding forrester was the first one of those that i encountered it uh it led me to the phrase of the soup questions it mm. led me to uh really know what a typewriter is because <laughs> yeah i didn't really know that until i was probably about uh, probably about 13 14 where i was like learning about like typing and like proper uh mm-hmm. keyboarding where they gave you those sh- shitty little like button press typewriters that sucked and yeah, they yeah. upgraded you to keyboards like you aren't ready yet yeah yeah like it's a gun you can't handle this yeah yeah, yeah. we gotta do a background check <laughs> see if you're ready for space for space bar <laughs> the big dog jumped over the fence you're not ready don't you dare hit that x <laughs> he uses every letter in the alphabet i know if you hit that x <laughs> you know my brother's a speed typer he's a demon with the keyboard i'll tell yeah, you that 13 words of <laughs> but no um it uh it, it also relates because being African-American, black, however you'd like to really define it, it's um the, the intro scene when 
<clears throat> when Jamal meets William. Yeah. And uh, he says something that's like pretty like profound where he's like, so I see you're 16 and you're black. And Jamal kind of st- sits back and he's like, well, what the hell does that do with anything? He goes, it doesn't. And it's like, they, they phrase it differently in the movie because uh, Forrester says that it's, I wanted to see how far, how much bullshit you would put up with mm-hmm. before you kind of lash back at me. Mm-hmm. But like, when you kind of think about it, for Forrester, who wrote, who wrote in the 80s, the 70s, who's like was alive during, I would assume World War II is the war he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, for there to be a prominent black writer in the Bronx... In the year 2000 and whatever. Yeah. It's pretty non-commonplace. Yeah. So, him saying, you're 16 and you're black. Like, if it were me in Jamal's shoes, I would take that as, yeah, it is kind of weird. Yeah. Because, I mean, I I go to public school. I see all these kids who just kind of just go through the motions, don't find any spark. They don't like math. All they like is cutting school to go play basketball. Yeah. Coming back during lunch, kicking it, whatever. Yeah. But for there to be someone who has this kind of spark within them is pretty uncommonplace when it comes to literature. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it is unlikely. Yeah. <clears throat> because they really position him as being, he could be the next Forrester. So we'll, so we'll front it and say that I have not, I saw this movie as well back in the creative writing class in high school. And I've revisited clips and pe- pe- hearing people um, talk about it. We're hearing people talk about it, but I have not rewatched the movie in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I remember correctly, it's kind of framed that like this young man is like exceptional at writing. It's not just like a talented young guy who comes under the apprenticeship. He he like could be like the next big deal potentially to yeah. the point where people even there's a plot line where people even think that his words are Foresters, right? Right, because so the, that that whole plot sense, or sense is. He goes to the private school where he meets his light-skinned adversary. Because, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a dark-skinned black dude that got to give him a light-skinned arch nemesis. That's true. <laughs> this isn't the Tyler Perry movie, so this time the light-skins the, the, the nemesis. Yeah. yeah, it was really wild when he was like, you and me, we aren't the same. He's like, I mean, not. I don't know why you thought that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of feels like you thought that, that we might be the same. Yeah. But in the fact that I'm I'm dark chocolate, you milk really kind of offset that. But uh, the the professor or writing professor, which is why I think of high school having <laughs> professors, basically accused him of plagiarism, which he kind of does with insp- with like inspiration yeah. from Forrester's work. But it's like it's unpublished, so it's like it's anyone's work. Yeah. Um, he accuses him of plagiarism, and that kind of leads into the fact that Jamal has taken his. L- Forrester's literary voice and made it his own. Yeah. And doing that seems, like, to me, impossible. Yeah. To, like, take someone's writing style, write something original, but use their their voice mm-hmm. so well that you're almost doing a perfect imitation yeah. in writing. Seems it's super hard. One of the hardest things ever, because <laughs> there's so many instances where people try to emulate hyper-specific styles, you know, where whether it be like the way that they write with like somebody like Hemingway or somebody, there are a lot of people, I mean, so many people who try to write like that. Or if it's just like the general sense of like the plot, like all the young adult 
fantasy stuff that came out after like Harry Potter, if it's like a contemporary um, example. That stuff is really hard. And something I love about or loved about this uh, Finding Forrester was that it really gets into the details or like the, the nitty gritty about writing like yeah. a little bit. Because um, I go into Yankee Stadium just... Just so you can yeah. playing basketball, <laughs> dating Anna Paquin, going to Yankee Stadium, um, putting your hands on the hips at her father's party, and being like, "I'm gonna show you how to move." <laughs> really quintessential to getting your first novel out. This is all I did in my English classes. At you, yeah. Um, but so I don't know if you know. I mean, this was directed right by the same guy who did uh, Good Will Hunting. Of course, it is. Um, so it's Gus Van Sant. And I don't know if it was his next movie directly after, but I think at the time, this one kind of got swept under the, the rug a little bit. I believe it. Um, because people were kind of like, ah, he's going back to the same well. Because both of these films are about exceptional young people in like unexceptional environments who are going, they seem destined to like go past where their where their friends are and they find a mentor. But would you say like the it's a pretty different narrative it's telling? It is almost the exact opposite narrative. Because in Goodwill Hunting, Will is suppressing his own intelligence around his friends. Yeah. Jamal, he he hides it, but he's never like, I don't wanna be this smart. It's like it's a burden. Mm. He's like, it's interesting to me and I love it. And he goes out of his way to find like Things that like interest him, yeah. And he's like constantly writing down notes. When like Will's, he's like an idiot savant kind of, where yeah. he's just like, oh, of course I know when I don't know the South invaded, blah 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 blah. And you like them apples? He's just like a smart ass. Like Jamal's yeah. not that. He's like an no. honest kid who doesn't know where he wants to be. Yeah. And in regards to uh, Forrester, he is seeing that potential within him, and he's not doing. What uh, I can never remember the name of um, uh, Robin Williams. Robin Williams' character. Yeah, but he, but Forrester is basically like, I see your potential, and I see you have like, not yet figured out how you want to express it, because like the groundwork is here, but your delivery is rough. Yeah, but in Goodwill Hunting, it's much more of you have so many walls built up that you can't be free, so yeah. it's a very different tonal. Delivery between the two movies. Yeah, and I, I almost there's. I mean, both are very good, good movies, and they're both very interesting movies. But I do feel that you're right in that in Goodwill Hunting, there is this kind of he's in this very privileged place mm -hmm. where he it's all up to him and his yeah. own decisions. Like if he's going to succeed, if he's going to sell out, if he's going to do the right thing, this is all based on his own decision making. He is somebody with almost like boundless potential. Whereas I think like the the character of Jamal is maybe a little more realistic in terms of this is also a guy with like this incredible intelligence and ability, but just the realities of life are maybe the things that might get in the way more than more than his own self-destructiveness, which is a big part of it. Yeah, it's, it's the fact that his dad's a druggie. Yeah. His mom and his brother are both hoping that he's successful, so that's an extra pressure for him to be really good at basketball. He wants to be with his friends who are always like, hey, man, you changed that you went to that private school. He was like, I'm still Jamal. He's yeah. like, I literally have not. He has the people in his private school who are constantly pressuring him to be either the go-along-with-it, oh, I'm just the quippy black guy who, like, 
I'm really smart, but I'm not smarter than you. Yeah. And it's this constant thing where the only person that sees who he is is Forrester. Where he's like, I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you can play basketball. I've seen it all. I've literally watched the entire street change. But you aren't just another one of the people on the street. Yeah. It's like you're someone who has talent. You're someone who has recognizable talent. And you you even came to me off your own fucking balls. Yeah. Breaking into my house, which is obviously something that any sane person wouldn't be like. So the scene when he breaks into his house is hilarious. <laughs> he breaks in by climbing through his fire escape because Forrester just leaves the window open. <laughs> the only window that has a fire escape underneath it. And so he climbs in and he's like going around the house and he's like, oh, that's cool. He like picks up a knife. He's like reading his books. And he like walks into a room and then Forrester just stands up yeah. like, like as a silhouette in front of the camera. And it's, but he, he sees Jamal and he has like almost like a way out for him. Yeah. He, it's his own way of reconnecting with civilization. Other than that white dude who drives a BMW who... Jamal absolutely just slams to the ground by dropping 40 years of knowledge about the BMW company. Yeah. But um it's 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 remarkable how how well it captures both the emotional and the um I don't even know how to how to describe it. It's not the plot point of the story of like the story writing. It's like the feel, mm-hmm. the essence of writing. Well, one thing it's a I would say it, it is a beautifully directed movie in terms of just the look of it and talking about the feel, the way the typewriters look. Oh yeah. The way I mean, the, Gus Van Sant in this movie is able to give typewriters the same kind of like materialistic like sex appeal that some movies <laughs> give, like good cars, yeah, or something. You know, I mean, they really the sound of it, the look of it, it all kind of has this kind of washed out like tone. You know, it's very much like. For the character of Forrester that Sean Connery plays is, I guess, based on J.D. Salinger, who mm. I guess was... I didn't even know to what extent, but I guess it was reclusive. Um, and then the other big reclusive author I can think of is Thomas Pinchon, who's like next-level reclusive, like faking his own death type. Not literally, but... Um, but he's got that kind of like leather-bound, kind of like corduroy suit kind of vibe of somebody with like a dusty room filled with books and the movie kind of looks like that to me everything in this movie smells like a library yeah yeah, yeah. guarantee it yep when you walk through you're like this doesn't smell like the it doesn't smell like sewage except the one scene that really does stick out to me is when jamal's walking back from forrester's place after he falls asleep Mm -hmm. and he's walking through the street and a cop car pulls by it starts raining it's just jamal alone on a poorly lit street there's a car on fire next to him the siren's going everything kind of slows down and that's when you get those like kind of hints at reality when it's like, Jamal, you still live in the you still low low key live in the hood. Yeah, like, sh- shit's rough out here, man. And Forrester is your escapism from that. Yeah, he is not. The world is not Forrester. Forrester is trying to get you to think like him. That your own creativity is your own like place to be. Yeah, and what everything else does to you is bring you down. People yeah. will criticize you. Your environment was shitty but like <clears throat> if you have this narrative that you have things to offer you have a literary voice you're a good kid you have parent a parent that loves you you have a brother that protects you <clears throat> you have potential to do great things yeah and that is the difference between goodwill hunting and finding forrester mm-hmm. because in goodwill hunting robin williams is telling will yeah. that 
you aren't the you are your own problem and you aren't the problem when it's not everything else around you that's turned you into this yeah it's your own viewpoint yeah it's like this this thing where it's like living in boston has turned you into it it's like the pretext and the and the and the aftermath of that succumbing to your environment yeah where forester is keeping jamal from becoming the reclusive who's like afraid of everything who's constantly beaten down by <clears throat> other writers yeah who basically is given up on his own spark yeah where robin williams is helping will find his identity in his own mental illness yeah and <clears throat> i do feel like what what i love about i guess both movies is that it's in both cases it's like but especially in Fighting Forrester, I would say Fighting Forrester is about both characters like yeah. overcoming fear, <clears throat> like in 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 a way where like Forrester is is so afraid of the outside world and has like no He's, connection to he it. He literally cries at Madison Square Garden when he gets lost in the crowd. Yeah, He's that scared. Yeah, and yeah, I mean one thing and about <clears throat> that the crying note. It is pretty incredible because people do think of Sean Connery as yeah. Bond and um, a kind of in real life as well had this very like machismo and Quartermain. <laughs> I mean, clearly his most iconic characters: Quartermain, 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 Alan, Quartermain, Alan Quartermain, Mister Quartermain, um, Indiana Jones's dad. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, um, but he really is pretty vulnerable and touching in this movie in a way that like sometimes you wouldn't even necessarily think that he not wouldn't be able to but almost would he want to would he be interested in the character like that but no he's like really sweet and vulnerable and a character who you really pity and love all in the same note yeah i really couldn't see a lot of other older actors portraying uh forrester as well as connery did mm -hmm. Because it's this kind of sense of, like... Like, when I think of people like Connery, it's hard to, like, have those actors in my head. It's, like, in his kind of mental circle for me, it's Connery, Elba, who's much younger, but it's the same kind of machismo, lack of vulnerability, very much a leading man. And people man. wanted Elba to play Bond, and, you know... Yeah. So, like, a lot of the Bond guys. And they wanted to see uh, Connery, Elba kiss, mid-Bond movie. Well, of course. <laughs> The name is Bond, James Bond, and then you just, just Ooh. <laughs> but it's this, but like I couldn't see, like Robert De Niro, who is a leading man who also has that lack of vulnerability in a lot of his movies. He's very like, very he's very macho. Yeah, but I couldn't see it because the delivery of it just feels so different. Yeah, like, could you picture? Could you picture anyone else in that role? Do you know what's weird is when you said it, I started thinking about it. And I was thinking about before I said it. It does not fit. <laughs> I was thinking the one person who I could imagine, like maybe that script, is like a, someone who's maybe like a Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, where you could get somebody who's maybe got a little more of a neurotic bend to them. Mm -hmm. Whereas Connery plays like Will Smith in this upcoming movie, Finding Forrester Two. <laughs> Yeah, um, spies like what's that movie? Just <laughs> spies in disguise. Spies in disguise. <laughs> this is kind of like a spies in disguise prequel. Um, but no, um, you could imagine this character is being played as maybe a germaphobe kind yeah. of more kind of element where there's this kind of jittery nervousness that you know 
obviously Dustin Hoffman kind of can tap into kind of an oddball neurotic thing. What's really great is that Forrester, when he's in his room and when he's in that that world, that smelling like a library world, does have the kind of charisma and bravado that you kind of expect from um, Sean Connery. And it's only in like, as that story goes along that you start to see like the sadness, you know, yeah. maybe. Um, it's a really sad movie too, unfortunately. It is, but it, it also, it's one of those, it's bittersweet. Yeah, it's, you know. it's extremely bittersweet. Um, but yeah, as the movie goes along, he kind of gives it this kind of, he tackles writing the way that a lot of characters tackle like sports competition, the mm-hmm. way that people would tackle a million different topics. He kind of gives it like this red-blooded um, punch the keys is something he says. Don't think, just write. He's got this very kind of like live life to the fullest attitude, even though he is doing kind of like the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, which is kind of an interesting, it's very interesting. I love it when there's a a character who is, you hang on to every word they say, like a mentor character, but you also know that they are not like the person you'd want to necessarily take advice from. Where it's like, it's a hopeful hi- hypocrite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you know what you're saying, so listen to it. And then at the very end, they kind of get that 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 moment where it's like they have that t- like tension, where there's that snap where it's like they take a second and they're like, "I haven't been living to my own my own preach." Yeah, bigly. Like, he doesn't. He does not walk his talk no. at all um, in regards to because he does have um, he does have that kind of yeah. This kind of like to reference another Robin Williams movie. Um, this kind of seize the day kind of aesthetic like vibe yeah. to him and this kind of thing that he's preaching wherein this, he's not seizing it at, at all. It's also what we're talking about too is it, it was interesting to talk about the differences between this and um, the differences between this and Goodwill Hunting because not only because when, when you mentioned the characters who are like, man, you've changed. We, they kind of they, they don't want to see Jamal succeed in both fields. They don't want right. to see him become more than what he's supposed to be, which is the, almost like the polar opposite mm-hmm. of Google Hunting, where it's a bunch of like working class guys who know that they don't have the spark that Matt Damon that 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 mm-hmm. Will Hunting has, but they want more than anything. Ben Affleck just really, really, really wants him to escape, but not Casey Affleck. He's like, I want you down in the trenches with me, Will. <laughs> yeah, Casey Affleck is living the crab in the bucket mentality in that movie. Um, <laughs> no, um, but I do think that it is, and I think you could speak to why people didn't respond to this movie as much from a million different angles. I think it was the recency thing of how quickly they had just made, or how recently they had just made Goodwill Hunting. You could talk about, I think people viewed. Damon and Affleck is these like new prodigies mm-hmm. in Hollywood because they also um, did so much with writing that script. Um, even though I would say, and it's a shame I have to say, the guy who plays Jamal, I don't know his name, he's incredible. He's unbelievable. He's really, really good. As an actor, I mean, he's probably better than Matt Damon is in that movie. I mean, he's really, really incredible. Yeah, because like, I love Matt Damon in Good Will Hunting, yeah. but Jamal captures this childlike innocence where he's like, Listen, man, I got confidence. You ain't gotta you ain't gotta test me. But he has like that kind of that you can feel when he says it, the hollowness behind it. Yeah. Where it's that it's a very typical thing for like young black men who are like very smart but very much like falling into that kind of I wanna say stereotype, because it's how people are. 
where it's yeah. like they they have to con- conform to survive. Where it's like this is the environment I'm from, man. It's like you trying you trying to run something, you trying to run something, and then literally Forrester pulls a knife on him. He's like, "What are you gonna do about it?" He's like, "You wanna you wanna rip like like you're from the Bronx, like you're gonna try and jump me, you're gonna break into my house, yeah. I'll fucking kill you." And then he like kind of sees that, and the way he portrays that fear of him, like, "Hey man, I'm I'm still just a kid," is incredible. Yeah, Where it's like Matt Damon and Google Hunting, great performance to say the least. Yeah. It's a little heavy-handed at times. It it can be like, it can be like, you know who I I'm fucking I'm fucking Mad Damon and like Robin is like yeah yeah he's like drop drop the wall he's like I ain't gotta drop the wall he's he's I don't want to say it's overacting because it's a very like intense mm. mo- intense scene intense movie but there there are moments where I wish it was a little bit more nuanced yeah where like Robin Williams delivers an incredible performance. He is the best character in the entire movie because of how emotionally dexterous he is. And that is what Jamal and Forrester and I I, I wouldn't say that Anna Paquin is as (laughs) capable as of like like in Finding Forrester of like moving through that space. Mm-hmm. But she kind of pushes Jamal through those spaces, yeah. and that's why her character delivers so much. Where it's like Mini Driver was great, but she is kind of like a like a bystander love interest a little bit, which is which is a little bit defeating in like how much I love the movie. But yeah, Finding Forrester captures that they are both they are the same person, Forrester and Jamal. Forrester just has the years of experience. And a reason yeah. to be kind of callous to everything. Yeah. And Jamal has yet to get there. And Forrester looks at him and he's like, damn, this kid's good. Yeah. He's not better than me. But then as he goes, he's like, maybe, maybe he will be. But and that's that's the that's kind of, I would say, I don't know anything about the writing process of this movie. But that's what I would take away as the initial start, the 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 pitch to this movie. Yeah. What if an, a critically acclaimed writer who was somehow ostracized found founded someone who would one day dwarf him? Who he would lead into his own, like, mega stardom of writing. And when I think of that, it's like that, that applies to everything. A football player meeting a coach who inspires him to drive harder. A basketball player... Or a business, or like a poor guy who meets a businessman who shows him how to like be like economically smart, manages money, become like get him a nice suit, really kind of put him on his feet. This story is like the American dream story, where it's like a guy finds someone to lead him into his own future, who is like established, never kind of got there, but they both get that sense of accomplishment where it's like I got you farther than I had. You are the son that I never had. You are the the father who will lead me to success I could never dream of. Yeah. And that's that to me is like the the moral of a story that I just fall I just fall to pieces for. Yeah. For sure. And what I think that this movie does and that it's able to do super well is like it gets a lot it mines a lot of drama out of the obvious like the 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 differences between him and Jamal are like really profound um on the surface 
and I think it gets a lot of like, how is this Sean? How is Sean Connery this like reclusive writer? How is he like so similar to this young black, really popular guy going on, but like young young man? Whereas I feel like in Goodwill Hunting, there's maybe not as much. And that's a really nuanced, nuanced um, dynamic between those two characters, but they don't have that more obvious kind of like. I think like pretty pretty quickly you kind of see how Will sees something in himself yeah. with Robin Williams, whereas this that's kind of like the big. They really tease that out in Finding Forrester, where slowly there's this long buildup before mm-hmm. he starts to see himself in Forrester, and Forrester starts to see himself in this kid. Maybe Forrester's come to that realization earlier than he has. Yeah. You might get the sense. but um, So I feel like that gives it this very clear, dramatic pull that I think maybe people at the time found too obvious or something. Yeah. But looking back, it, it really works for me. It really works for me. Yeah, because it's, it's a dialogue point in Goodwill Hunting where he says, oh, you grew up on 43rd Street, right by the blah, blah, blah. It's like, I used to go out there and watch blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they like kind of all these like talking points. Yeah. But Forrester's like, writing don't ask me about my personal life so my personal life is personal for a reason and then jamal as he like starts to take care of forrester and like he's like kind of accepts him as a friend he gets a little comfortable he starts going through a shit he's like finding all these old pictures he's like trying to relate to him in order to like get him to open up to him it's like if you found <clears throat> not to like reduce sean connery to a dog but it's like you found like a scared puppy yeah it's like you can't just be like let's go let's go out and just see the world it's like you have to kind of get them comfortable. Yep. And that's kind of the effect where it's like on both ends. <clears throat> where Forrester's in the writing sense, he's like, look, he's got potential, but he has no delivery. Everything he writes sounds like a fifth grader would write it. It's like if a if a forty year old of a forty year veteran of writing <clears throat> only had the vocabulary of someone who's like fifteen. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to teach you how to professionally write. Yeah. And Jamal says, I'm going to teach you how to live again. And in Good Will Hunting, it's like, I understand that, uh, bleh, not Sean Connery in Good Will Hunting. Robin Williams. Robin Williams. God damn it. The genie. <laughs> <laughs> that when Good Will Hunting st- talks to Aladdin, <laughs> yeah. uh, that it's the same narrative, but it's it's a lot more like, big impactful moments where it's like they're like yelling at each other and it's like you don't live your life why should I live mine yeah it's like those, that happens in Finding Forrester but it feels a lot more realistically brought on where it's and what's impressive about with the way it's done in Finding Forrester is as we've said multiple times Finding Forrester is all about um the money it's all about showing him the money <laughs> um, Finding Forrester is about a character who's dealing with like his outer shell you get the sense is born more through like an external survival need and he has some of these these external obstacles which is not to say that Will Hunting in that movie does not either um because clearly coming from a bad socioeconomic stance I mean there's a real similarity there but a lot of that stuff in Good Will Hunting feels maybe a little more self-imposed like we said so that's what's really impressive to me is how low-key um Fine Forester feels, and it has this kind of comfy vibe. There's lots of drama, 
but like we've said, it kind of has this almost like library feel. And it's really admirable now to look at a movie that came out in theaters and was this big kind of like mass, like populist blockbuster movie that is really just a series of pretty low-key, human, kind of like tender moments between characters, which now feels kind of like this, like almost like a miracle, like how that wouldn't come out now. And compared to the big... The waterworks, like you say, of Goodwill mm-hmm. Hunting, um, it's really admirable to see a kind of somewhat similar setup yeah. get played in this completely different—not completely different, but this way shifted tonally. Um, it's basically what if Goodwill Hunting? What if Will was black and just wasn't a total asshole? <laughs> yeah, he's Jamal is not. Jamal's like the nicest kid anyone could ever meet. Like he's a little, he's a little rough around the edges at points. Mm-hmm. But like this kid, he's got, he's like great with ladies. He's like smooth, but he's also like kind of kind of dorky. Yeah, kind of awkward. Like when he talks to Anna Paquin, he's like, you can see how he's like not super comfortable talking to white people. It's like in his in his delivery of like especially scary ass Sean Connery <laughs> <laughs> with a Scottish brogue and his knife. Yeah, who literally in the first, I would say, forty total minutes of meeting him pulls a knife on him and is like, "You're black." <laughs> <laughs> but that's how we met. <laughs> I mean, that's true. It was freshman year of college, and him was like, <gasps> he was like, "You're black. You want to write?" <laughs> exactly. But um, it. I mean. The way I want, I want to kind of transition into the way that this movie brings up a pretty like a in, important aspect, the aspect of race. Uh, yeah, movie. because I would say ninety percent of the plot points are built around Jamal being smart and black. Yeah, because it is him going to an inner city school as a run of the mill basketball player who's like he literally like he does what I would call. The genius move of flying under the radar, of purposefully getting all C's, which is like, if I saw that, I'd be like, how does he get a C in everything? So he's got to be one thing he's awful at, at least. But it's like, he goes to a private school, which is either all slash predominantly white, and without a doubt, all upper class. And he has all his friends who come from a totally different world than that. Who he's trying to hang on to and relate to, and like he doesn't have a, he doesn't have his his new role model is now this 60, 70 year old white guy, yeah. who like you said has a thick Scottish accent, is kind of a hard ass and doesn't connect to him. So when Will when Will when Jamal goes into school, he like he's in an alien territory. He literally like not to say anything like negative towards Jamal. He doesn't belong to the people that are there. Like, the only person that likes him is Anne and the principal, who was like, we want you here. We want you to play basketball for us. And he was like, okay. It's like, the, the test scores are really the the hook. And then the the whole reel was like, it's like oh, I, can get some, I can get a championship out of this kid, which I'm pretty sure they do. Doesn't he? He tosses it at the end, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he loses on purpose because he's like, which that is that type of I do not have the like mental confidence to do that. Oh no! <laughs> like if I could win, I'm gonna like I don't have the. Uh... He said, "Fuck you, light skinned black guy." <laughs> <laughs> well, 
We're all losing. There goes your senior year. You're trying to drag me down. <laughs> drag us all down. Which is honestly kind of messed up. This guy has one last chance to win a state championship. And he's like, you know what? No, my pride. If I was, I would beat the shit out of Jamal. Oh my god, dude, that is like unreal. That he, he did that. Um, but Sean Connery's proud. He's Sean like, Connery's there you go. I hate basketball. Um, I only watch Jeopardy. The bird questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I feel like we kind of have been skirting around that because I feel like if all the things that we've been talking about with Goodwill Hunting and this, which I didn't mean for this to be so much comparing the two movies, but essentially there is this, I think of Goodwill Hunting and this show how two people in socioeconomic kind of poor conditions, mm-hmm. how the like racial, how white privilege or kind of like that racial difference kind of like affects how people have to react because... Yeah. That's a that's a movie where I mean to be for being completely honest in those scenes in the bar where Matt Damon gets into fights with like Harvard mm-hmm. assholes, Matt Damon to them doesn't look different from what they'd expect to see at Harvard, right? Like he's way buffer. Except, yeah, he's buffer and he has like perfectly coiffed nineties <laughs> blonde hair. Um, but he's a construction worker. Don't forget. Don't forget <laughs> that this sexy little guy is also building buildings. Um, but. They, they really, it's, and all this stuff, it's all this kind of personal stuff and holding himself back. Like, he's in the, he has a place of relative privilege where Will can hold himself back from really achieving almost anything. Yeah. Whereas Jamal, when he's skirting under the radar, that's not an act of, like, self-sabotage. That's an act of, like, survival. Mm-hmm. Like, he wants to stay low-key, stay safe, do the right thing kind of get through and just make it through and that's holding him back from doing something like I'm going to write a novel and put my stuff out there and like put myself in these positions that are really hostile. F. Murray Abraham plays the professor who mm-hmm. is... Crawford? Yeah, I think that might be right. In, 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 in Finding Forrester? In Finding Forrester, Crawford. yeah. Yeah, it's Crawford. Um, and Crawford. He is an asshole, right? <laughs> and, and he faces such overt external roadblocks and he handles it with like he has to handle it perfectly in the movie and like he does he is he's so like respectful like he knows his place like he doesn't like overstep things and he's like essentially terrified of these these this social situation he's in and it really takes his bond with Sean Connery to kind of like get him out of his shell and like show how genius he really is with like Mm -hmm. writing Um, and I feel like a lot of people maybe have labeled this as kind of like a white savior kind of narrative because of that like there's this white mentor role in Sean Connery that teaches but I feel like what at least to me if you were to make an argument against that I'll be interested to hear what you say the thing the one thing that holds it back from being thoroughly that or entirely that is that Sean Connery teaches him a lot, but he is taught almost just as much from Jamal. Yeah. And it it takes more than Sean Connery being like, punch the keys. Like, Jamal finds so much of it within himself and teaches so much of it to Sean Connery that it's not like a complete, like, I'm just relying on this other person, if that makes sense. No, yeah. And, like, to, to put it in a hopefully non-offensive term, it's like the yin-yang symbol. Yeah. Where it's like, they are opposites, but e- but inside each other, there's a little bit of themselves to start with, 
and they slowly kind of mix into like this harmonious state where they be where they where they meet at the end of the movie. And it's like it's like Jamal, you gave me the confidence to come out, and like he's like Forrester, you gave me the confidence to become a like a proud writer of like like my stuff. Like before, I didn't show anyone my things like you, but now we've both like you've shown your face and I've shown my talent. Yeah. So I don't think this is a kind of savior movie, like um, it. I can understand that argument where it's like the rich white guy. It's like he's rich, but he ain't really doing much with it. <laughs> where it's like he's really just getting socks, turning them inside out, and ordering whiskey. <laughs> yeah, the inside out movie. That's an interesting touch. Um, where it's like it's not so much a savior thing because everything that Forrester does is everything that Buster Rhymes does too. Where he's like, listen, man, I'm gonna look out for you. It's like that's more of the savior thing. Where it's like I'm gonna keep you off these streets. If like Forrester was saying that kind of shit, that that would be much more understandable. Be like, this is a savior movie. It's like I'm gonna give you this thirty dollars and don't spend this thirty dollars until you get home. That would be a little weird. But like, it's more of him teaching him how to be who he is inside. That's not a savior thing. That's a listen. I come from the Bronx. You come from the Bronx. I went through this shitty ass time, and I want I want to show you how good you are and how you can like just be somebody that you like like I know that you are and then Jamal says but are you somebody anymore you it's like you're trying to turn me into a somebody I'm trying to turn you human again yeah because you're just you're a literal set of binoculars in the window he saves Forrester more than Forrester saves him I would 100% yeah the only thing he saves from is academic downfall and really, Forrester kind of put him, him in that place. Absolutely, yeah. Where he's like, you can't steal my work. And it's like, I mean, I'm. if you write something enough, you're going to start to get a style. Oh, yeah. And if your only, like, inspiration is Forrester, you're going to kind of start to sound like Forrester. And it's it's weird that, like, it's more of the community saves Forrester. Or saves, uh, saves Jamal. Mm-hmm. Because it's his mom. Uh, him going to a private school, but his public school friends still staying close with him. It's his brother. It's Anne. It's Forrester. It's everybody coming together and being like, you got this, Jamal, man. It's like, you just got to be proud of who you are. Except for that hating ass F. Murray Abraham. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he like, black kid smarter than me. Cringe. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good thing that F. Murray Abraham is such a good actor because... Other, an other actor would turn that guy into, like, mustache-twirling villain. Crawford is, if that's his name, yeah. is top ten haters in all of film. <laughs> that is, he is a professional hater. He won the player haters ball in 2000-whenever. And the winner of the player haters ball is F. Murray Abraham. For hating on Jamal for learning how to write. <laughs> yeah, for learning. Yeah. For doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're supposed to be teaching this kid how to like read and write and be a good yeah. But it's kind of funny because like Forrester literally says in the movie, he was like, he's a man who failed at writing, who learned to teach people how to write, who tried to teach people how to write, and it's like in that failure, Crawford became a racist big time. It's like that kind of passive aggressive where it's like, I I don't really believe that you wrote it. And even, like, the other faculty members, when they're talking, it's like, I don't know, something about this just thinks. When the other faculty member doesn't even come to Jamal's defense, he's like, all right, whatever. It's like, he's pretty good at math, but he's really good at basketball. And it's like, he's like, he's a cheater who's really good at basketball and could take us to states. Drop it, Crawford. And it's like, 
holy shit, you're racist too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, is everyone but Ann Packard at the school racist? <laughs> but what's interesting about... And that one cool dude who smokes, who's like his best bud. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the, the cool white guy who's like, hey man, it's like, real smart of you for not talking back when it's like, oh, civil disobedience, not smart? Who would have thought? <laughs> Yeah, we all need one cool white guy in every movie. To be like, listen, man, you made a good choice. Because at that point, yeah, don't, don't fight back at all. And, and at that point, Sean Connery was the cool white man. So yeah. they needed a boy. Um, yeah. And that guy was dessert, bringing up the heat with his new ports. But um, what's interesting about him saying he's somebody who couldn't really write, teaching people how to write, there's an interesting parallel in that Forrester, somebody who can't really live, and is teaching somebody how to live, except in that final scene where he sticks up for his friend. And he even says, he's like, Crawford, you a bitch. He says, you're a bitch. Um, and he says, it was also the movie came out exactly 2000. So films okay. right, right around then. Um, and he says even, like, you know, my friend had the integrity to stick up for me when I wouldn't do the same for him. And so I feel with, like... With a much heavier accent. Yeah, you know, I feel like doing the Connery voice is like so easy to like do, but so hard to master. I probably shouldn't even be doing. He it. has an ir- not irreparable, but uh, irresponsible level of swag. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. He um, has an uh, what's the term? Un I would say uh, no, an irreplaceable. I guess irredeemable, <laughs> irreverent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> An irrevocable, um, ir- iridescent, that's not a word. No idea. Just Yo, let's drop it here. We're cutting the pocket. <laughs> but, um, but I feel like if there is, if there is, well, I'll say two points. My final two points about the white, the white saber thing is, one, it does feel to me what makes it a sweet movie and what something that I really like about it is it's kind of an unlikely friendship movie more yeah. than it's necessarily a mentor movie. Yes, and that it's, is. It's, it gets a lot of the fun of it is to see... A six, 16-year-old, 17... How old he might be? He's 16. A 16-year-old and a 68-year-old... Yeah. ...become, like, buddies. hmm And that's always fun. I mean, it's just always fun in some story when you see two people who are unlikely friends. Because that's the truth. I mean, as I got into college and stuff, I would start to meet, like, adults. And I was like, if the vibe was... If, like, if the... Social dynamic was different here. I would be hanging out with this person, like, for sure. Yeah, and then we kiss. And then we kiss, and then they marry me, and they leave, leave yeah. their wife. And, um, and I would be like, mm. <laughs> That was the Birdman hand rub, for those who can't see, which is everyone. It was not the Birdman hand rub. Here, we cannot prove that. <laughs> My Google Glass says otherwise. My Google contacts say otherwise. So, so that's always really fun um, to see. And then also, I feel like it's just that type of th- It's such a, like low-key tender fun movie that it's like i feel like if even if you were to like draw out mentally some things that you could view as a little dated that way in the depiction for me it doesn't matter because like all the small touches in this movie are kind of what make it all the small things all the small all the small small things things. (laughs) (laughs) that should have been in this movie um that should be our new jamal misses the final shot all the He's not bawling, <laughs> but, um, but it, it's all the it's all the little like tender touches. Like I feel like that plot could have been way cornier. It could have yeah. been way, but they really give it the. And let's actually look because we're not doing this guy enough justice because he should be 
He should be name dropped. Rob Brown. And the only other movie I know that Rob Brown appeared in, sadly, is right after I saw Finding Forrester, Don John came out with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. The one about the... Porn addiction. Yeah. And and he plays like... (laughs) And Finding Forrester to beating him me too much. Yeah. He's not beating his me too much. He's finding Forrester. (laughs) Oh, he's fine. He's got a forest. Um, (laughs) We're cutting that out. And... um, <laughs> he's friends with the guy being his me too much. But it is actually really sad. Look, if you go onto his Wikipedia, they don't even have to split up his film and television roles. He's only been in like eleven things since two thousand combining. Mm. And I'm not say I'm not denying <clears throat> Matt Damon's star power or his ability to stop saying homophobic slurs in twenty twenty one. But what I <laughs> what I am saying is that Rob Brown should have been given a little more. I mean, because he really I guess he's in Coach Carter. Um, this, another. This really should have been like a jump start for him. Should have really been, and it's almost a shame that I didn't see. I didn't. I've never seen Coach Carter, especially with Busta Rhymes and Sean Connery. Those are two pretty heavy hit names in anything. Yeah, true. And to be like, I I was in a movie where it's like critically acclaimed on Amazon Prime. It's five starred. It's five, yeah, five star Amazon Prime. One of the greatest actors of our generation, Buster Rhymes. He said, Ma, you want to see me? You want to hear me sing? No one damn well is rapping. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, something I'll also say is, about just the general fun of watching this movie is also what's fun about watching not just Goodwill Hunting, but I found a million movies. If, if a movie comes out and people like it, the clips that get on YouTube, mm-hmm. I've noticed this. People love more than anything unsuspecting people owning somebody else in like a debate or a fight or whatever it is. So people love to see the 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 the, the Ooh, yeah. moments. It's like world star moments <laughs> when they give when they're being given like a filmic like budget and they get big names to star in what's essentially like that video where the nerdy white guy does like uh, like a head spin in the cafeteria <laughs> and people start freaking out. <laughs> this this movie has plenty of that where people get especially F. Murray Abraham as the asshole teacher, gets owned multiple times at the end by by the kid himself, by Forrester. There are so many, like, mic drop moments in this. So many, like, unsuspecting person is, like, smarter than you think. Because yeah. the, the whole, like, how you like them apples mm-hmm. from Goodwill Hunting, that, cl- I guarantee you, if you go um, yeah, on Jam- YouTube. Because Jamal said, he was like, any book didn't get published, and then Sean Connery said, and you get no bitches. <laughs> no bitches. I'm the man now, dog. Get ratio. <laughs> <laughs> They're beating your ass in the cold tweets. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. It's that kind of, like, even in the beginning when it's like they're all kind of ganging up each other, it's that kind of camaraderie thing. But, like, when you got a hating ass motherfucker, and it's like you just kind of own him at the end oh. of the movie. It's really right. that kind of big fat liar moment where it's like you get served, son. It's like you get you're never coming back to these parts again. Yeah, it's like your whole life ruined because you were racist to one black kid and you're a piece of shit for twenty years. <laughs> that's how I'd say that. That's grounds for getting your life ruined because. <laughs> He's a piece of shit for 20 years. You can imagine what's fucked up is if you look at the subtext. Think about how many young people that guy completely, like, oh. demoralized and deflated who didn't have Forrester to be like, 
no, that was him that wrote it. Like, <laughs> it, it was just Jamal in that situation. He would have, like, gotten him expelled or, you know, it would have been awful. So, yeah, that's, like, top ten villains of the year 2000. Um, yeah. And I'll try. They're probably worse people who were in movies in 2000. I don't know. But if you look at Goodwill Hunting, the clip, My Boy's Wicked Smart, has 24 million views. My boy's Wicked Smart. <laughs> wicked Smart. And so, yeah, people just love to see... And you like movie. me now. <laughs> Especially if it's unsuspecting. Like, I've already seen clips from this Jack Reacher show. Mm-hmm. Um, and people say that's a pretty good show. But they already, the clips that are coming out are a scene where, like, Jack Reacher, like, gets a, beats up a guy who's, like, mean to his dog. Or, you know, the clips from the original Jack Reacher movies are small Tom Cruise Five six like beats five guys up in a bar for picking on a woman. He beats, he beats up five guys at five guys. <laughs> he beats up five guys at five guys burgers and fries, um, <laughs> because they just work there. He's like the fries are always too salty with a telephone cord around the neck. <laughs> that movie has some uh, really ridiculous fight scenes. That Which one, Jack Reacher? The movie, yeah, the Tom Cruise Jack Reacher. I don't even want to talk about that movie. <laughs> well, you're going to love my next book report, then. Um, Jack Reacher 2, Out of the Shadows. <laughs> it's like, it's called Never Go Back. That's the Ninja Turtles <laughs> title. The Ninja Turtles, yeah. Who do, you think, who do you think would win the fight? Okay. Jack Reacher and the Ninja Turtles. The Ninja Turtles. They would slice and dice him. <laughs> no, because Jack Reacher has a special set of skills. No, dude. Those Jack Reacher. Beat up slightly overweight bikers. They would beat him up so bad in that movie, there would be a scene where like Donatello saw Tom Cruise as like a slice of pizza. And then they decide, like, we're going to eat him alive. He said... <laughs> I feel like I'm Tom Cruise while he's like doing the shell shock move and they slam him. <laughs> They're ripping his jaw open. Oh, bitch, I'm Raffy Wood, that too. <laughs> I got throwing stars too. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know how we got onto uh, Tom Cruise getting killed by the Ninja Turtles. That'd we're we're talking about the own scene. Own scene, so yeah, basically, yeah. as a moment by moment basis, even if you have, even if you were to critique things about the general plot, there is something really fun about unlikely friendships about people who you wouldn't expect kind of teaching a lesson to one another if even if that lesson is like they're going to school their racist teacher in public and like um win in like a public debate these are essentially intellectual fight scenes oh yeah in this movie just like in goodwill hunting and that's always fun i'm gonna be honest sometimes intellectual fight scene it goes a little bit harder than an actual fight scene. I think was, when, oh, yeah. when you hit him with the quick quip that he never saw saw coming, oh, it, it'll deck him hard. Oh, yeah. It'll just put a blow. They'll be like, and like their face will just drop open. It's it's essentially Forrester and Jamal telling Crawford to get ratioed. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and he does get ratioed by his own like boss. Like the, the tenure committee's like, uh, You've embarrassed yourself. It's also really hard. You posted cringe, Crawford. <laughs> it's really hard for Crawford to win this fight because he's going up against his like hero, who like yeah. kind of beat him out of uh, Forrester, a kid who's smarter than him, his girlfriend, who is like just a friend friendly girl who becomes his girlfriend, and her dad, who is his boss. So he's really fighting the uphill battle, and he's like. I'm going to prove he's not smart. I'm not racist. I belong here. It's like, dude, your book is shit. Yeah. And he's like, oh, <laughs> oh boy. how um, can you say that? <laughs> basically, 
Particularly Crawford's book in that movie is like 200 pages worth of posting cringe. <laughs> yeah, this whole... it's His whole thing is just top, it's just top text, bottom text memes. But it's all, no top text, only bottom text. It's like slightly, it's like low resolution images. He's like, why did this not get published? <laughs> yeah, I feel like... Um, I feel like I would love to see a version of this that comes out in 50 years about somebody teaching a young... Like, somebody, like, when we become 50 or 60, teaching, like, a 15-year-old how to shit post online. <laughs> it's like, no, you have to... You troll them. Punch that keyboard! <laughs> Hit the plot! <laughs> Go into our DMs! <laughs> Get risky in the DMs! Punch those DMs! Punch those DMs! Yeah, um... <laughs> call, call her a slut in the comments. <laughs> slut shaver! <laughs> Get toxic! Um... Uh, yeah, wait a minute! <laughs> <laughs> uh, call him a cuckold! <laughs> and then, like, at, like, Harvard, it's like... It's like, you only posted Facebook me. <laughs> <laughs> For moms. That has an eye funny watermark, Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're getting your memes, fucker. And Jamal's like, your memes trash, dude. I read your memes. I could write memes way better than that. But like Jamal's memes are just like, my balls win. <laughs> it's like a picture of like Jimmy Neutron, like two in like 50 years and gets redone. <laughs> It's a picture of Carl Weezer with the caption, when you nut, but she keeps sucking. And Crawford's like, I don't get it. And Forrest is like, you never will. Because you've never been sucked, Crawford. I feel like it's like, we're giving him his Jeopardy. I feel like that, um, the portrayal of him on SNL, the Jeopardy thing, is like completely thrown off how we think of him. Because that's like, I imagine him as just like doing that to people. I know he's not. Gus Van Sant, I will say, very interesting, um... Movie maker. Give me, give me some of them. So yeah, he did um, Angry so, Birds. <laughs> he did Angry Birds two, um, Spies in Disguise, obviously. But only the first half because he was kicked off. <laughs> because yeah, he was gonna put in too many sex he was, scenes. He was doing a white scene. <laughs> the Tom, yeah, the, the, Tom the bird, Hall, the Tom Holland character was saving the bird. <laughs> That's a white savior narrative. Um, he did Drugstore Cowboy, My Own Private Idaho, Goodwill Hunting, then Milk, which came out, which is about Harvey Milk with Sean Penn. He also did a movie about the Columbine High School Massacre called Elephant, um, which people say is pretty interesting. He did a night in 1998, um, which is a year after Goodwill Hunting, so that was a movie in between. He did the remake of Psycho with Vince Vaughn. That's like a shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho. That was people said was very kind of like, what's kind of the point of this? It was almost like a formal like experiment of like, how would it look to remake a movie shot-for-shot shot with color, with a different actor. Um, That's weird. Pretty odd. I believe he made a movie um, called Last Days. Yeah, which is kind of about... Um, it's about like Kurt Cobain's Last Days before he killed himself. But it's not technically Kurt Cobain, and I think Elephant is not technically about Columbine. So he takes a lot of like he's like the Judd Apatow of angsty movies. <laughs> Explain that because <laughs> Judd Apatow is the same movies. Oh, so, okay, yeah, that is okay. That's but true. he broke his formula, <laughs> and, it, and people were like, "What is this? What the fuck are you doing?" Um, he's like, "I'm done making white savior movies. <laughs> no, I'm making." Filipino saver music. <laughs> um, 
He, uh, yeah, he's a clearly interesting. I always respect when directors get to the place where they can just start doing things that are essentially movie long, like experiments or like riffs. Yeah, because it seems like he's kind of getting to that point where he's like, I did my blockbusters. I did my blockbusters. I did Goodwill Hunting. Let me like. I almost get the sense that maybe he, as a filmmaker, saw Goodwill Hunting, the success that that had, and almost maybe wanted to do something with that kind of. He must have loved that kind of narrative and mm-hmm. wanted to do something a little more low key. Yeah. He might have thought maybe he almost wishes he went. This is complete speculation. Oh, one hundred percent. Senior Van Sant, but like it almost kind of feels like him kind of riffing on something he's already done, and he seems like he's done that. Um, often where he kind of will like take some idea that's maybe already been done and kind of do a different version of it even if it's someone else's movie like Psycho Mm -hmm. so clearly a pretty interesting filmmaker some of his recent stuff people say is not is maybe not too great I've only seen the two I've only seen the two really? yeah but um but uh so anyway I would say Finding Forrester it's it's a great movie it's I mean there's no there's no other way to put it yeah it, it captures so many different aspects of both the writing process, individuality, fear of public opinion. It captures so many points of like what people have to struggle through in their ordi- ordinary day-to-day. Conformity, yeah. judgment, fear of the unknown, loss. And it, it wraps it all wonderfully in a two-and-a-half it's two two sixteen. I think it's two hours and sixteen minutes. Really? Because it tells the story. Of it's two, exactly two hours and sixteen minutes. I just watched it literally two hours ago. Okay. <laughs> and it it tells the story of Jamal saving his friend. It's not he's not saving some writer who can help. He's literally like Forrester is he's yeah mentally dying. Yeah. He is suffocating himself in his own sadness. Where he's like wallowing on the death of his brother, who he holds himself responsible for. He is wallowing on the criticism of other people. Where he's like, I no longer even want to talk to people because they've damaged my reputation as a writer, and that's all I have. And he says, No, it's not. You are a person with experience in life, and intelligence, and wit, and humor, and you have all these things. You have given me the ability to write. Now let me show you what it's like to be a New Yorker again, to go to a, to go to Yankee Stadium, to try to go to a basketball game and cry in this in, in the hallways, which is a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. When you when he turns around, you see tear like the tear marks on oh. his face. I I I feel so bad. Yeah. And it's it's I mean, there's no other way to put it than it's one of my favorite movies. That's awesome. Yeah. It um, <clears throat> what I also love about it too is it it. it it does all of that that you're talking about, and I think it pretty successfully wraps it up in um, like writing metaphors. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's obviously when a character is a writer in something that's being written. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the a writer is able to talk about that process and draw out the the drama and what's interesting about it. Whereas in something like Goodwill Hunting, to bring it up for the last time, it's not like that movie gets too much. If I remember correctly, dramatic pull out of a math equation—it's—it's it's tougher to do, right? It's much easier to do um, a writing metaphor and to bring that in. And as we've talked about before, this movie also Finding Forrester makes you want to get a good book. It makes you want to write. It makes you want to find a typewriter. There's like a real love 
for the just for the process and for his profession and for literature and education and I think for that alone the kind of visual sense and the clear like passion that went into it it's a movie that I think is absolutely worth watching and I guarantee you if it came out now without the whole like Goodwill Hunting comparison um, or any of that, it would be given significantly higher acclaim. I feel like it would definitely be given, especially now when there are so few movies that are this low key and like measured and well observed. Um, I feel like people would really, really love it now. So I think it is something that is worth a revisit. Yeah, it's it, it gives me the feel of like a AAA studio that tried, even if it wasn't. Uh, that try to make an indie movie, yeah. where it's like it has like the same kind of feel as like low budget shot, even if it's not. It's like shots through a like it looks like a shot through an actual like uh, binoculars, mm-hmm. and there there's moments where it's like it feels like really dusty and grainy, but it has that stardom from obviously yeah. Sean Connery that a lot of indie movies can't afford. But it's it's from a time before the whole kind of indie craze, where it's like small narratives could still be, like, big plots, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, well, absolutely. I mean, and what's especially before is it's before the big mm-hmm. superhero, the big... Oh, yeah. The height where everything had to be pure spectacle. Like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> Well, just because I feel like if a movie came out now called The League of Extraordinary, no, if a movie came out now, it would be tougher to sell it on the star power of yeah. somebody and on the promise that you're going to get to just see an actor that you love put in like an interesting performance, which is absolutely what this is. Hey, you get to see you get to see Sean Connery play this wise and old person. And what I love is I always love when actors get to the age. Where they kind of, and they get their very like juicy, almost like send-off movie. Where they get to play. Because League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out after. Let's pretend that didn't come out. Like if, if this had been Connery's like last film. I love the kind of farewell movies that people get. Like Clint Eastwood's been doing it for 30 years. Because people keep thinking he's going to die. But he, <laughs> no, he, won't, he won't die. He lives forever. Like, come um, get me, motherfucker. Come get me, motherfuckers. Um... But he, he's done a lot of movies like that where just seeing Sean Connery's face with, like, the lines on his face, his age, the what we imagine is, like, wisdom. Gray Fox, though. He looks great. Um, Silver Fox. This. Gray Fox is a character from, from Oblivion. <laughs> Silver Fox. For some Gray reason, Fox. Gray Fox reminded me of uh, something from Metal Gear Solid. I don't know what I'm thinking of. There's something Fox in Metal Gear Solid. Well, there's a lot of Fox stuff in Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> there is. Ocelot stuff, Fox stuff, <laughs> Hyena stuff, probably. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but just looking at Sean Connery's face in the movie, there's almost like a, that in and of itself is a is a character. And I think that there's a meta-textual thing, especially for people who were watching it then, who grew up with him as the Bond, as the <clears throat> action guy, as the suave guy. To see him in this role, that almost did was doing a lot of work mm-hmm. unto itself, which is always cool when you see an actor kind of use their star power now. Because I'll be honest, in 40 years or in 30 years when Chris Pratt 70... I don't know if I'm going to get as much weight yeah. seeing Chris Pratt. You know, any, I'm being mean to Chris Pratt. But no, this this Mario performance will be his his uh, finding force. Probably. It will be, yeah. Wow. Because he'll die soon after. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> to Rob Brown. 
He's going to kill him and be like, I found Forrester and just blow him bits. Now I'm losing you. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like Connery was obviously a unique star. Somebody yeah. who had a, a level of charisma and star power that was, I think, used to its like full extent. Whereas there are plenty of actors now who have that, but I think they're being dwarfed maybe by the types of movies that get made now. So it's cool to see Sean Connery in a role like this. Even if it maybe didn't get like the Oscar buzz he wanted, I think it's safe to say now, especially after he's passed and with looking back at this movie, you can really like see a pretty special, cool performance from him in it, which is always... Yeah, this is definitely one of those movies where it's like, if I were an actor in it, it would be one of those movies I hold in like my repertoire of movies that, even if they didn't do great... I will never be ashamed of this movie. Oh, no. Because yeah. it is something that, like, it it has a sense of love and, like, heart put into it. Where it's like, these are this is one of those movies where it's like, no matter how it comes out, no matter what the reception is, even if it's like a, bo- a, a blockbuster movie where people are flooding to the theater seat because it's like, this is a super emotional movie with Sean Connery and Rob Brown. And they're like, who? <laughs> it's like, the guy from, never mind. Where it's like you, it's still like one of those movies where it's the crew looks at it after and says everything we did here. Oh yeah, could not have been done in a better way. Absolutely, Sean, you did a great performance, Rob. For a for a for a sixteen year old kid, you was probably like probably eighteen older, or twenty. Yeah. Phenomenal. It's a shame his name sounds so much like rap producer Ron Browse. <laughs> <laughs> who produced Ether by Nas. Um, I don't know why. I keep thinking, Rob Brown. What does that remind me of? And then I was like, oh, Ron Browse. <laughs> I've never particularly liked Ron Browse. Uh, modern production. But um, yeah, yeah I, think, I think another reason why I picked this movie is because, I mean, writing is something that's near and dear to both Henry and I. Yeah. And, and we both have an experience with... Um, a, a, a late great writing instructor who inspired us both. So yeah, and kind of kind of framing it now after going through through that, it's it really impacts you when you when you have those kind of moments where it's like a teacher or a professor or a role model or even just a, a it could be a total stranger who just has those moments of like yeah. you have talent, it's recognizable. Don't yeah. let everyone else have an opinion about you. Yeah, when I first saw this, I don't know if I had maybe had a recognizable like mentor moment. Like mm-hmm. we said, I think we both were in high school when we first saw it. So, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting to see it now and see some of those clips when it's like, yeah, you know, I really kind of do one thing. Both of us have written since seeing it, you know, and we kind of know that process and the frustrations and the joys that come from that. And a lot of joys, a lot of frustrations, a lot of joys, a lot of, a lot of frustrations. But um, and we both just kind of know what it means to be taught by somebody and all that. So it it it, it all rings really true. It's not um, it's not false. And even though it's a kind of pulls on your heartstrings, it's not an overly sentimental movie. So I'd say that we give this movie. Um, five sparkling water bottles out of five. Um, I give it six, but I drank the sixth one. You drank the sixth one, yeah. I don't even like sparkling water. We give it one shot quart of cranberry juice out of one shot quart of cranberry juice. That I've been sipping, you could probably hear me pouring in the first seven or eight minutes. Well, I was eating chips for our last episode. Maybe next time we'll just have like sloppy sex behind us. Just just cut it off it, we'll have sloppy sex. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> Very so, good. Um, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you, Randall, for everything you did for us. Randall Keenan, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about him more, I'm sure. We will definitely talk about him more. Our, um, our little Forrester. Big time. And he honestly, as swaggy as Sean Connery, at least. Good ratioed. Good radio, but he would say it. He would be if Randall said he'd be laughing. Get ratio. I can't do it. I couldn't do a Randall impression. Uh, All right. No one can. No one can. All right. I will end it.